What's good, everybody? I hope you've been staying sane, healthy, happy, and stoked amidst this global crisis we've all been a part of. About a month ago, right in the heart of this quarantine, Emily and I reached out to a whole group of past Stokecast guests, some of your favorite athletes, creators, and outdoor entrepreneurs, to bring together five really epic panels of people and have some casual, fun conversations around what they've been up to since we last spoke and really what they've been doing to keep up their motivation and inspiration from inside. We called this virtual event Stoked From Home, And I know many of you tuned in live. So as we gear up for the launch of Stokecast Season 6, we wanted to drop these Stoked From Home panel replays on you weekly so you could revisit the fun or tune in fresh for the first time. The whole event is, or will be, it should be, available to watch, uh, rewatch on my YouTube channel too. Just search Jonathan Ronzio on YouTube. And I really hope you're well. Hope you're staying Stoked From Home. Enjoy. On this episode from our Stoked From Home online summit, Big Mountain Climber and Alpenglow Expeditions founder Adrian Ballinger, ski mountaineer and climate activist Caroline Gleick, world-renowned rock climber Emily Harrington, and professional skier Angel Collinson. Hi! Hi! What's up? Oh my gosh, you look so sunny right now. I know, I've got a lot of natural light. Is, much, <laughs> is it too bright to want me to I can turn down the ISO on the camera? It's all up to you. I mean, it's you? it's like it's very peaceful and angelic. Okay, we'll just let it go then. <laughs> Which is timely because now Angel's on Angel as well. On. Hi. Hello. How are you? Let's see, we've got Adrian. Adrian here. I imagine this might be a twofer because it might be. There we go. We nailed it. All right. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> we did it, guys. Ooh, last panel of the day. Um, this Honestly, like, when we have scheduled these kind of days in the past, uh, actually, like, pr- producing the first, you know, season or two of the Stokecast, and we'd schedule these days to do, like, five or six interviews back-to-back in one day, I, it was, like, hard. Super hard. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm sure you've all done, like, press interviews and, like, film circuits and stuff, that those kind of days are just take it out of you. But I, I feel like nothing but energy has come out of, like, today. And, and we're five hours in, and it's been incredible. Yes. <laughs> that is impressive. That is very <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for jumping on. Um, so what we've been doing is, for anyone new who's on the attendee list, you can jump into the Q&A, and we'll pepper those questions in as much as we can throughout the conversation. Um, but wow, crazy times that we're living in. And we really appreciate you guys taking some time. And there's been a lot of great Zoom calls I'm sure you've had since it started. Mm-hmm. But thanks for joining us today. I, I want to uh, <clears throat> start by calling out the fact that, Angel, the last time we saw each other um, was the last day of 2019 at a, uh, the bagel shop downtown Jackson. <laughs> Just randomly bumped into each other there. That was, uh, that was awesome so funny because your wife knew my boyfriend that's yeah, the only reason they, why from the same hometown like as kids she yeah. she, comes, she comes over to introduce me to him and i'm like wait a minute i know you <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally well 2020 has been a ride so far hey yeah seriously not what we expected but it's uh yeah. it's what we got it's like i saw a meme the other day that was like um frozen pizza and it was that line from Batman. It was like, the, not the hero we, uh, we want, but the hero we need. <laughs> Yikes. Nice. Like um, well, Angel, I mean, maybe what we should do first is you can introduce Natasha to the whole world, your quarantine you characters. Like to meet Natasha? I don't have my hit. My hit is over in the other room, but I can go grab if you want. I need my vodka too. you have been okay so for people who don't have context to that um russian accent that you just did um angel has been doing some really nice characters on instagram and have been a source of light for for me (laughs) and i think a lot of people during this um really challenging time so we love (laughs) natasha and we want more of her (laughs) thanks Why, why did you start doing those characters anyway Well, I think part of it was, you know, as we've been sitting here, I've been encountering lots of different emotions and lots of different aspects of myself that have been coming out. Sometimes I have this part of myself that's really like angry and frustrated and like 
wants to be doing more and is jealous of like these other people who are taking advantage of this time in a better way than I am, you know, and I was, and so Natasha came out because she's sort of like a fireball. And I just was noticing these different parts of myself and a part of myself that's really driven, but really like actually needs to rest. And as these like different parts were coming out, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to make a whole quarantine character series. I have like 5 million hats and costumes in my house. And I figured it was kind of just like a good way for me to express what's going on for me and some of the things that have been working and like just invite people to explore these other aspects in like a fun way because I think it's stuff that's coming up for a lot of us. I love it so much. Well, we dove into Natasha, but maybe we do a quick round of, I think most people know who you guys are, but if you want to just do a quick round of introductions to, to actual Angel, maybe not Natasha, and then Caroline <laughs> and Emily and Adrian. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Angel Collinson, and I'm a professional big mountain skier. I'm based out of Salt Lake City right now, and I'm actually up at Alta, and it's snowing. Nice. Just torturous, torturous snowing. Sorry. Well, I mean, I can't do anything about it, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Caroline Gleick. I'm a professional ski mountaineer and environmental activist, and I'm just up the hill from you in Park City, Utah, and I'm really honored to be here and to be on a panel with all of you today. It's good to see all your faces. <laughs> Is it also snowing in Park City? Uh, not right now. No, it's just kind of windy and overcast. So, yeah, I'm, I think it might rain here. It looks like we're on in that. Yeah, it looks like it's going to rain. I'm Emily Harrington. I'm a professional rock climber. And Adrian and I live in Tahoe City, California. And right now it is very much like spring out. It's like perfectly still and probably 60 degrees. Ooh, nice. That sounds so nice. It's it, really nice. It snowed like two feet this past yeah, weekend we were and like, then was immediately in the 60s. And we were super not into it. We were like, it can go right now. We don't need <laughs> it. That one is just kind of annoying. It's so annoying. <laughs> Uh, I'm Adrian Ballinger. I'm a big mountain climber and skier and also own a guide company called Alpenglow Expeditions and based here in Tahoe with them. This is the pod. Plus cat, <laughs> whatever cat is. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> cat. We have to show our animals. Yes. Yeah. Bring, bring them on, of course. Um, <laughs> so everybody, I mean, we've got Alta, Park City and Tahoe. Like, this was one of the questions that was actually um, asked on the last session that we didn't even get to asking, but um, we had an attendee who was curious, what is, what is life looking like in uh, mountain towns right now? Like what, what's the vibe like in these places? Um, well, up at Alta, it people, it's been actually really busy. Um, it's been interesting because, you know, we're right outside of the Salt Lake Valley. So there's a huge population that's, you know not working in the same capacity or stuck inside and it's, it's actually been yeah surprisingly busy people coming up here to get outside and um, we had a pretty gnarly avalanche cycle like a two weeks ago or something a lot of people were it kind of feels like everything's on hold but obviously mother nature isn't and there was actually like what was it caroline nine burial there was like 40 human triggered avalanches and nine burial there were a ton yeah and following yeah. like search and rescue on facebook there's been a lot of um rescues lately yeah. i've been really surprised yeah yeah suddenly here in tahoe we saw the same thing i mean so there's positives and negatives right like i when i think about like being in tahoe like for me part of the vibe is we can still go outside. We stopped skiing a couple of weeks ago because it just didn't feel like the right path for us and kind of vibe to be putting out there. But we're still getting outside to trail run and walk down to the beach and go, you know, and went swimming with Kat a few days ago. So one of the beauties of being in a mountain town is we still can get outside. With that said, there's definitely this tension here where uh, backcountry skiing parking lots have been completely overrun. Uh, you know, we are seeing so many people like carrying skis on their shoulders and things you wouldn't normally see mm -hmm. season during an avalanche cycle, but that's happening now that the resorts are closed. And one like personal example, our uh, guide company closed down during the big storm a couple of weeks ago. And a normal weekend, we might receive 20 to 25 phone calls a weekend for backcountry skiing. We had 150 calls in one weekend. Wow. We had to turn it all down, but it just shows there was just this massive influx of people who wanted to get in the backcountry during this time 
which obviously has risks. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause you, you hear, you know, people calling from all angles of the industry to like, Hey, just like chill for now. Right. Like dial it back and go low key. And, and yet on the other side of the coin, like some people just don't care and they're just going for it. Yeah, or just are uninformed, I mean, or maybe not getting the right information that they need. Yeah, and they, or they, I feel like a lot of people maybe are um, thinking that their skill level is a little bit higher than it is and not having like maybe more honest conversation with themselves. Yeah. Which I know I can't do that, so I'm not going. I'm not going. (laughs) And then I think we've been hearing a lot about small towns and kind of like health resources and things like that. And that's made a lot of decisions really easy. I think we just heard yesterday, Truckee, California is now one of a couple of hotspots in California with somewhere between five and nine times the per capita rate of coronavirus as the rest of the state. Um, I think there's lots of reasons for that. How many of us travel and then came back? Also, how many people traveled here because they wanted to be stuck here? And uh, so, you know, I I do think there's a real risk in some of these communities that we're also trying to figure out. Like, I don't think we should be taking I don't think we can tell people not to come here um, because there are very good reasons to come here. But I think we also have to ask people to really consider those. Yeah, I mean, it's been a little complicated. It's been like, there's been a very strong, like, localist vibe. Like, mm. everyone bearish, should just go home. Like, don't come up here. Don't be here. And it's like, well, a lot of people have second homes up here. And so it raises the question of like, are they allowed to come or, you know, and it's just, it's kind of tricky and hard and there's a lot of tension with mm-hmm. it. Um, it's hard to know what, what's the right approach, I guess. Hmm. Adrian, I'm, I'm curious how this has impacted, um, you know, Alpenglow. Like are, are, I'm sure there were plenty of trips on the books that are probably, you know, people needed to cancel or they need to be postponed. Um, what, what's going yeah. on with that? It's been brutal. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think like I, I so many people are suffering on so many levels and we still are here in this beautiful house. I'm trying to keep it in perspective. Um, but we had to shut down all our international expeditions, including a 16 person Everest expedition this spring. Um, and also all of our local guiding avalanche courses, backcountry skiing. So uh, we have eight people in the office and this season we had 38 guides on the payroll. And that all went to zero immediately. And while I have hopes of like local guiding coming back maybe this summer, um, hopefully with like local travel and things like that becoming a thing again, I I think it's going to take a long time for the international part of the business to come back. And it supports so many people from Sherpa to local guides to drivers to cooks in so many different countries around the world. Um, Yeah, I'm stressed about it. But (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, best. I mean, I, I, when when it does come back, uh, I know I've said for a while, but like, Cotopaxi is still on my agenda. <laughs> Just it's not it's not happening in the next few months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have one. You have uh, one uh, attendee there. That's great. Um, <laughs> so all of you guys, you know, so the last time I talked to you, Caroline, you were going into Chou, I believe. So you had kind of like a very intense twenty nineteen. Yes, that's I went to show you in 2018 and then I did Everest in 2019. Okay, time is not, I don't understand it anymore. Yeah. So, so, you know, like you came off these big years and going into 2020, you led the climate rally in Denver and like we're doing all this activism stuff. Angel, I think you were coming off of an injury and like getting back into, you know, big mountain stuff. And then Adrian and Emily, I mean, you guys were training really hard to go to Spain and do big, Uh, climbing objectives right and so I'm just interested to hear from you guys I mean everything has been very jarring for so many people for this entire experience but how have you kind of pivoted your thinking and how you're moving forward now that a lot of maybe what you were working on or working towards are no longer happening yeah I mean it's definitely taken a moment there was definitely a moment of deep grief and sadness and depression as I was like, the trip I had to cancel was like this really fun Canada trip where I was just gonna get to go powder skiing. And that was after a busy season traveling to do speaking engagements and a lot of environmental activism work. So there was definitely a week or so of readjustment where I had to sort of accept the new reality. And then 
I was really taking a lot of time to gather information as well. And there's a local epidemiologist who reached out to me to do some coronavirus Q&As, and that really helped me to get a better understanding of the situation. Because it's like, we've never experienced this, so we have no frame of reference for how to deal with it. But I think that a lot of the skills that we learn on big mountain expeditions and on trips where we're waiting for weather, they apply really well right now because so much of it is out of our control and we're waiting for things to line back up again and that might take a while. But in the meantime, you know, when you're stuck at camp, you can always do things to improve camp. You can always just sit around and play gin rummy or you can play words with friends or whatever it is. Like there's always something you can do. And so just kind of having that day-to-day -day focus and, and trying to find ways to keep busy for me has helped. What about you, Angel? Yeah, um, it really, it reminds me both of like the downtime on um, expeditions or trips when you have big weather windows. It's really similar. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not, you're not really supposed to leave your confined space or maybe you can't in a lot of cases, but um, it, and it also reminds me of going through an injury and anyone that's had like a surgery where you're cooped up inside, you can't do much and sort of you're questioning your identity, the things you do in life, what brings you meaning like that. There's something about, I think in the U.S., you know, we really identify with what we do. And when that's taken away from you for a period of time, there's like some deep self-reflection that happens. And so for me, I've kind of been, it feel, I just came back from an injury last year. So um, it feels like a, a, an old hat in some ways. I've been using this time. Um, I feel like I was prepared for it. And so it's like the accepting the process of where you're at, accepting if you're restless or you feel bad and there's nothing you can do about it. And just that process of like being mindful of how you're feeling and not making it wrong, but like being okay with it is always at least my first step. And then, um, yeah, just using the time to explore other things or make future plans. You know, it's like this too shall pass and it feels, it can feel like forever and time can go in crazy ways, like you said, but, um, just like taking the time to rest you know we're, our society is so go 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 all the time and even now it's like you're supposed to be productive you're supposed to be doing all these things like take these master classes learn the instrument plan your next trip do whatever and all that is great if you have that energy and sometimes I've just been like sleeping a lot and that's great too so yeah it's been a bit of like introspection self-exploration pursuit of other interests um started taking some belly dancing and twerk classes online so that's fun yes <laughs> that's I mean. right. yeah. Yeah. That. so yeah and sleeping <laughs> and sleeping nice <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys adrian and emily i mean for us there's definitely been struggles for sure but i think for me i in a way, in like a weird way, I was always, I've always sort of been craving this time, like this permission to just be home. And as a climber, there's actually a lot of ways to gain strength and fitness like in your home that are usually like monotonous and boring. And in normal life, sometimes I don't find the time to actually get to do them because I'm traveling and in the back of my mind I've always been like well if I actually consistently did a hangboard routine for three days a week for two months like I could actually get way stronger and improve and that maybe that's what I need in order to like accomplish some of these big goals that I have and so for us I think it's been really motivating because we actually can train and so we have like our little hangboard here and then we have our home our home wall so we're really lucky we've been able to climb and I think it's like one of the most consistent times I've ever had of like actually being able to train and not being distracted by other things. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and so I've just sort of kept my goals the same and looked forward to, instead of looking forward to this spring, it's more like I'm looking towards the fall or maybe even beyond, but I feel like I have a lot of growing to do and a lot of learning and like a lot of strength to gain. So I'm like pretty content. <laughs> right now actually <laughs> aside from like the the financial stress and all of that um if it if, like just in my little bubble i'm actually okay <laughs> when's yeah. the last time the two of you were like in in home in tahoe for this extended time together 
This is a record we realized last week when we like <laughs> over three weeks, we're like, this is the first time in our eight year relationship that we've been together at home for three weeks. And that uh, is crazy. It's like a whole new time. Everyone's like, oh, one of those expeditions must be so hard with your partner. I'm like, I don't know, try home. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like, I'm like kind of nervous about it to get like, I'm nervous for it to go back to normal. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't really want to like have to get on an airplane again. Like I'm fine right now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say like you guys all just said such great things that I like hit on as well. Like the, this too shall pass is something like, I feel like that's how I get through any expedition and yeah. knowing that and we all do it in our lives, like knowing that is definitely helpful, I think. Like, and then the second thing I was gonna say is like, I kind of felt like everything has changed and nothing has changed. Mm. For, 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 for us in one way, like I still wake up like feeling stoked. Like the world has changed, we're not traveling. The things I was prioritizing so much seem significantly less important today. And yet at the same time, it's like, I can still get totally psyched on trying to do one more stupid hang on the board than I could do three days ago. And I can still um, like dream about expeditions for next year and for five years from now and for 10 years from now. Like I've had a decade long list forever and this doesn't really change that. It just changes the potential timeline. And um, so yeah, days still feel pretty good to me. Um, <laughs> It's re redirecting the stoke. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's so interesting what you said, Emily, because I feel like I'm fitter than I've been in a while right now because I actually have like consistency to my training because so much of our normal seasons is like just so much travel and it's really hard to maintain a training schedule when you're traveling and it's hard to rest. And yeah, exactly. I feel kind of bad that it took a global... I, I, I wish that we... <laughs> could come to this place as a society without a global pandemic where we are allowed to like have a pause because the part of it that is hard to deal with is just that so many people are suffering and and that's that's the part that i struggle like sometimes i feel guilty feeling happy when i know the harm and the suffering that's happening and so it's a weird dichotomy and this weird conundrum in my mind yeah it's like survivor's guilt almost you know it's like Do feel that a little bit yeah I, no i couldn't agree more that it's like the, this is the first month in over two years that i've been home and but i'm loving it just loving like baking and being with my wife and the dogs and and like chopping wood in the backyard and doing things that i was like <laughs> do before i feel like i i like went back in time a hundred years and it's like kind of cool but at the same time i agree like it's it's also like when you then turn on the news or think about the broader picture of things. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, like when a death brings the family together at a funeral and like after the, the after ceremony and everybody's drinking and, and like, it's nice, but it's also like a, a horrible thing that had to happen to get people together reflecting and, and mm. connecting. Yeah. Your metaphors today. Really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Sorry, Caroline, I think you were going to say something. Well, another thing a lot of people have been talking about is like, and I know one of the things is like the parallels between COVID and climate change. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's so great. Like global emissions have decreased so much. And people in India can see the Himalayas for the first time from their city. And like the dolphins are returning to the canals in Italy. But the thing we want to do with our work with protect our winters and with climate is to create a decarbonized society where we can still go on airplanes and we can still go to work and where we still have a functioning viable economy and so i think that's another thing that i've been hesitant to celebrate too much are these environmental things we've seen the changes because it's like we don't need to we could create that change without this mass suffering Right, because it's like the, what's causing the potential, the small environmental winds right now is not long-lasting habits. It's, yeah. it's potential, right. it, it's, <laughs> it's pause out of necessity, and then the world will, in a, in a you know, some, some things will change forever, but in another way, like the, the economy will 
turn and things will come back and people do their whatever they were doing before and it's not yeah. like we're creating long lasting habits with that mindfulness right now on like having that effect environmentally but it is interesting to see how fast the global community can come to action for something wow. when right when it seems like it's a little more of an immediate need did you guys see the meme going around a few days ago or a couple of weeks ago there was um uh, climate change needs COVID-19's PR team. <laughs> because like half of the world or three quarters of the world was willing to completely change how they live their lives in a matter of days when not that many of us had been personally touched yet. Yeah. And yet with climate change, we just have not been willing to do that. Mm. Uh, right. But it's not knocking on, yeah. It also shows the need for like um, early action before it and and those um, when you take early action on COVID or climate, you can really prevent a lot of suffering and especially for the most marginalized groups. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, it's yeah. cool to see how many people are are voluntarily social distancing and wearing masks and doing. There's the helpers, you know. There's always the helpers that come in, and there's definitely a silver lining to see that. I think too, yeah. it's like we know the actions are seem more achievable and specific and yeah. and we can it feels like we can immediately um, put them into place and do them realistically or we're we, you know we're forced to in the case of like work or whatever you know a lot of people obviously wouldn't choose to get laid off so there's negative yeah. parts of that as well but it, it seems like there's really specific things that are clearly communicated and it seems like there's a clear outcome if you do these things and I think humanity really operates like on that system you know like feeling like okay what I do matters what I say matters like and with climate change I feel like there, there's like an overwhelm and a hopelessness that comes in that leads to like disempowerment and non-action and with COVID we, there's more of a sense of empowerment of like our actions can make a difference you know yeah. I think you're, you're right. It's about that, that visible difference too, right? It's because it's not like there's any news coming on in Salt Lake City saying like, hey, um, today's graph shows that uh, everybody who biked instead of, you know, took a car today has taken global or taken Salt Lake City emissions down to this. Like we're not seeing that real time stati stats to like give us the feedback loop we need to feel good about our actions, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess the question then is like, how do we take what we learned from this? And also just during this time too, because just because this is happening and it's terrible that it's happening doesn't make climate change any less important um, to fight against. So I'm wondering how you guys are hearing from maybe some of the brands that you work with or with POW or the organizations that you guys are involved in, how to stay vigilant, but also like with the empathetic understanding that people maybe don't have the brain space to be like COVID and climate change. I can't do it all. Like, you know, um, I'm wondering how you guys are handling that with your own conversations with your audiences or with your organizations that you work with. Yeah, it's a great question. One of the things um, that I have been doing is I started recording my own podcast and I had a conversation with Dr. Naomi Oreskes, who's a Harvard professor and she wrote the book Merchants of Doubt, which is all about how the fossil fuel industry used a lot of the same tools from tobacco to create confusion and doubt amongst the public about the causes of climate change. And so um, I think having those conversations and just to make sure that we're continuing to talk about it and to stay vigilant for what our elected officials, like holding elected officials accountable for what these, like some of the things in the bailout bill and to make sure that we're continuing to be vigilant and that we have watchdogs overseeing federal policy on environmental issues. Because that's one of my biggest concerns is like during this big shock and disruption to society that, and the Trump administration is already trying to like sneak through some, they're trying to get these sneaky environmental loopholes past and so that's really worrisome so I think if we have the bandwidth and for people who do have the privilege to be able to you know keep an eye on that and speak up about it and still take action I think that's that's more important now than ever yeah well just should we just end there and just go go do something? I don't know. It's sort of heavy, though. I feel like I haven't had very many fun things to say. I'm like all doom and gloom. Uh, no, that's okay. These are important conversations to have. Yeah.
Um, this is great. So let's, I guess let's uh, get out of the doom and gloom for a second. We've got a few questions here that we can just hit down the list. Um, all right. Has anybody skied any of the mountains outside of Juarez, Peru, uh, or have you climbed in any areas outside of Cusco? Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all of us, have, most of us have probably skied outside of Juarez in Peru. Skied? We've skied Tokelarahu and Ashinka. And Caroline, you did something. Ski, I skied Ashinka, Pisco, and Yarazaste. Nice. Yeah. yeah, the skiing, I mean, it, there's no lifts, as people probably know. It's high altitude, <laughs> up to like 21,000 feet. And uh, the snow conditions tend to be horrible, but the mountains are super, super inspiring and beautiful. So, so highly pretty. recommend. Pisco uh, looks incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and then I great climbed, um, I climbed for a month this past July outside of Cusco at a place called Pichumarca. We were there developing roots and it was amazing. It was absolutely gorgeous. There's just so much to do in Peru. Like there's so much rock, there's so many mountains. Um, yeah. Also amazing surfing and the best food in the world. So yeah. highly, highly yeah. recommended. It's a good place. Grant, <laughs> Grant, who asked that, actually was there for two years in the Peace Corps. Um, oh, wow. So that's probably why he's looking for some context around what you guys did there. Um, let's see. Since you all do international trips and expeditions, how do you make sure you're uh, respecting local communities and local spaces when you're getting into the outdoors abroad? That's a good one. That is well, okay. For an example, I guess, for me, what I've always made sure to do is like connect with like a local who knows like the community down there as well as like, for instance, the, cl the climbing like in Pichumarca, I connected directly with the person down there who communicates with the people who own the land. It's um, owned by all the Quechua people down there and just made sure that like it was okay for us to be down there and what kind of like the rules were and how to respect how to respect it. And for instance, like in that area, there was a curfew. Like we weren't allowed to drive down the road past dark because we would scare the alpaca. And so we had to make sure that we were like done climbing before dark. And so just little things like that, just always connecting with a local who can kind of like tell you what's okay and what's not okay. And yeah, whether or not we're welcome. What's your take on eating what you're served? <laughs> I'm a firm believer in like, having a diverse palate specifically for travel. I think that you can connect with a lot of people if you're a flexitarian, which is what I call myself. <laughs> I apparently, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a very personal choice and it's hard to judge other people's decisions there. But for me personally, I tend to be pretty flexible in what I'll eat and what I'll try when I'm traveling internationally. I can really bring people together. I agreed. Um, ch did you try chunya with the Quechua people? It's like fermented potatoes. Ooh, that sounds awesome. It's uh, it, I, yeah, it's real bad. We ate a lot of potatoes. I, I learned down there, there's like 200 different kinds of potatoes. Yeah. Is the fermented stuff, is it actually alcoholic in the end? No, it's like they put the potatoes in the river under some dirt for like months and then they dry it out and then... Um, and then it just tastes horrible. And I got, <laughs> I got food poisoning, but you know, I, I also believe in eat what you're served. Cause I think it's respect and it does create conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, oh, any, another any experiences to share there? I ate guinea pig in Peru. Yep, that's a staple down there. I got that side without the head and Rob got the other side and he didn't like it as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> But it probably has a very small carbon footprint. You know, it doesn't take a lot of water or land or resources to grow that protein, to raise those proteins. So, <laughs> yeah. I had a, um, a three-week trip in Albania, and we were staying way up. It was really beautiful in this national park, like way at the end of this road. And um, I loved your question because I really think in a lot of countries, food, especially in places that don't have a lot of money and live simply, food is like a gift you know, and it's the way that people connect. And um, it, when we were in Kosovo as like a celeb or in Albania as a celebration at the end of our trip, they killed this goat and spit roasted the whole thing, you know, and then served it on the table, like the whole goat. And for Americans, we're not used to seeing that, you know, and a lot of people on the team were like, oh, they didn't know what to do. But um, I, 
I don't know. I love those kinds of experiences, but yeah, it wasn't the best tasting. There were some parts that were better, but yeah, it was pretty crazy to just like see the whole goat there and be like, all right, dig in everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, Seeing it is, I feel like the, the preparation too, if you're like, you see it and it's like a tradition and there's like this whole ceremony around it. I feel like I'd be much more likely to to do it you know <laughs> that's i mean yeah. that's going back to highlighting like even right now how we we are being more mindful than ever about like where our food is coming from and what food we need and how to limit trips to the grocery store and what are the essentials versus what can we stock up on versus what like you know fresh produce and when and what you know it's yeah it's bringing that to, to light right like not just seeing the goat on the on the, the spit but like thinking through the food supply chain as it exists right now and and our impact on it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have like an inner pioneer woman who's coming out. (laughs) I'm like (laughs) sewing masks and like repairing all this stuff. And then there's like demolition Caroline. We just did some remodeling. So that was a really fun version of myself. I don't have the good accents that angel has though. (laughs) (laughs) Do Do you have different like outfits for each version of Caroline? Yes, I have some sweet jumpsuits. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they've been really fun. So I can bring a little fashion element. And this is really nice today to actually put on some like real clothes and do my hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think this is the second time I've put on jeans since this happened. Hey, you're wearing pants? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am wearing pants. <laughs> Thank you but, uh, so much for showing us. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> you're wondering. Yeah. yeah. The, the pants proof on Zoom. Yeah. Um, this is another fun question. So um, for Emily, it says, I know you listen to a lot of Spanish music, especially when you're climbing in Ecuador and Peru. What's your favorite reggaeton or Spanish song to get pumped to right now? Ugh. I had one. She's like, oh my gosh, I need my phone. You don't know off the top of your head? It's like the new, it's like the new most popular one on like all the Spanish. It's got like Nicki Minaj in it too. I think it's oh, okay. called Tulsa by Carol G. Oh yeah, Carol G. I gotta add that to yeah, the that's the hot take. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, it's got like Nicki Minaj is in it too. I like those little like and they have like little mashups. Yeah, yeah. We listen okay. to this. We we actually stream a Spanish yes. radio station when we're at home because when we go to Spain, our favorite radio station is called Flash, F L A I X, and they have an app and you can stream it. So we can actually. It's Catalan, so it's not. So, yeah, so the. So you won't understand Catalan, anything so they say, Spanish, even if you, you speak Spanish. It, but <laughs> they play Spanish music, and it's all really. Nice. So you're like prepping for the trip so you can like fit in with the local communities so you can like listen. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. What I'm curious, what, what, uh, has, what's different about your morning routine in the last like few weeks? Like how how are you starting your day? We're starting our day the exact way we always do, which is I have to get up first, let cat out. Who's a dog. Um, and I make coffee and bring Emily coffee in bed Aww. every damn day. And I it is our, for my birthday, <laughs> like a couple months again. ago, she was, she's like, I'll do it for you today. Didn't happen. I don't like to get up if I don't have to. I don't set alarms either. I kind of just wake up. <laughs> I set um, alarm every. No, you set like. Six I set like six alarms <laughs> every morning and this have done since I was like, like seven o'clock, seven o five, seven fifteen, seven twenty, seven thirty. This I is mean, the longest yeah. they've like, lived together. Story, <laughs> I think that that's those are like defines the three types of people in the world, right? Like you either get up without an alarm, you are like militaristic on getting up with the first alarm or you've got 80 alarms five minutes <laughs> apart to actually get your ass out of bed. I have an incredible built-in sense of guilt about um, not getting up in the morning. <laughs> Caroline? Um, well, some mornings I try to, like one morning a week, I'll get up right away and I'll like go ride the trainer for an hour or two. But then most mornings lately, like we've been staying up really late this past week working on the house projects, painting and finishing this floor. And so 
we've been sleeping in and then the first hour we just lay in bed playing words with friends with each other that's the current current phase we're in but I mean the thing is is that I like like I can adapt to all these things like sometimes I'm the person who sets the alarm every five minutes and feels really guilty about not getting up and then other times I'm totally okay with sleep not getting out of bed to like 9 30 or 10. I can be incredibly lazy (laughs) just about not judging yourself right whatever you need in the moment yeah, right? I'm just glad I don't have small children because I talk to my brothers and people with small kids, like, I don't get it. Why do kids wake up so early? Like, they get no sleep at all. Both my older brothers have two small children at home and they're always just like zombies right now. I feel, I wish I could take over for a day or two and, and fulfill my auntie duties, but they're, they can't come visit here now. So I'm kind of sad about that. I think kids just have like, they, they are just like a ball of FOMO is what it is, right? Like think, thinking about like needing to uh, like bedtime or, or like not getting up at 6 a.m. or early, right? Like they're just thinking like, if I'm sleeping, I'm missing out on everything anybody's that's, doing. That's what never changed for me. That's <laughs> my problem. You just True. nailed it. There you go. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> Angel, how's, how's, uh, how's morning routine been for you? You know, it's been really interesting, actually, because I, like you guys have been talking about, when you travel so much, you know, when you're on these trips, you have to get up at certain times. Sometimes it's ridiculously early, blah, blah, blah. So usually in my everyday life, when I'm at home, I never set an alarm. And my I try and keep a consistent routine, but it's all over the place. And now having this consistency, I've been really like playing with what makes my body actually feel best. And um, I've been setting an alarm for six every day. And then if I'm not like waking up in time, I just go to bed earlier and I'm kind of like figuring out how much sleep actually feels good for me that I can wake up when I want to and feel good. And that's been really fun to experiment. So yeah, I've I've been waking up, setting my alarm every morning, which I never do, (laughs) which seems like a funny time to do it. Um, And then I drink about 16 ounces of warm water that wakes me up and makes me feel great. And then I have coffee just because I like the buzz and then I have usually like 15 minutes of like yoga or stretching and then meditate. Um, and then I usually get some work done on my computer. Wow. That was like the most regimented yeah. one. Well, it feels <laughs> good to have that consistency of a routine. Like I, I don't really have that. Like I always want a good routine, but with the lifestyle, it's all over the place. It's hard to keep that. And it's been really cool to like, do a 40 day kundalini challenge and like have a time every day. I know I can do it or whatever. So yeah, I've been enjoying having a little bit more structure for myself. And what's the, what is your sweet spot for hours of sleep per night? Like nine, nine, nine I'm like and a half to nine. nine. Yeah. Yeah. You, Adrian, I bet yours is like three hours. No, he could yeah. sleep forever. And that's what I keep telling him. It's like, not. He yeah. yeah. My oh, body. Really? He like prevents himself from sleeping enough. He counts. He's like, okay, we're going to bed at 11. So I have to set the alarm for 7 a.m. Because eight hours is like what someone told you. And I'm like, why? Like, you clearly could sleep longer. So let's just do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but like, what if like the most exciting thing of the day happens at like 7.05 and he missed right. it? Nothing is going to happen. Right. Like that cloud might come across in front of the house. I want to see it. Right. <laughs> I did not have a great sunrise. <laughs> You like I, a little say, I like a little one. I'm like eight and a half, nine. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, they say it takes, uh, you know, what, three weeks to form a habit that you can actually keep consistently. And I think with everybody's lifestyle here, like it's nearly impossible to do anything consistently for three weeks um, with all the different tra- trips and, and, you know, events and, and all that. Right. So it, it is an interesting time to like Angel, you pointed out, you, you don't necessarily need to get up for anything. Uh, specific at 6 a.m., but you, you're doing that because it's a chance to have that kind of habit and consistency, right? Caroline, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just saying it's nice to find like a natural circadian rhythm again because like mm-hmm. travel is so disruptive. Like even if you just have an early flight, those mornings getting up early to get to the airport can be brutal. And then like time zone changes and stuff like, I don't know, it can, it throws me off more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <sighs> It throws everyone and off, though. Say, yeah. yeah. They say that um, any hour before midnight counts as double, basically, like, when your body goes into, like, rest and digest, and it's um, 
like when the when the organs do cleansing processes and everything like if you're in bed before like by 10 I feel so much more rested like if I can be in bed by 9 30 I feel mm-hmm. and sleep till six I feel so much better than if I'm in bed at 11 30 and sleep till eight and so it's oh. been really interesting to notice that with not a lot of other variables cool. yeah okay we have more questions so should let's, we do let's that do let's do Why it not? Okay, so Emily and Adrian, how do you guys approach the mental aspect of climbing outside after not climbing outside for some time, specifically getting on lead again, falling, getting used to the rock? Um, it's always hard. It's always, it's always a little bit scary for me, I'll admit. Um, I think you kind of have to relearn it every time, like to be comfortable. And I think the important people always ask me this because they assume that like I, I'm not that like somehow I got over my fear, but I never have. Um, it's always a re a reintroduction process. And I think going along with all the other, like some of the stuff that Angel was saying, like it's really okay to be afraid. And I think you have to like accept that and you have to be a little bit nicer to yourself. Like sometimes I'm guilty of it too. Like I'll feel uncomfortable on lead or something or and I'll be really hard on myself and I'll be like, why is this happening? I've been climbing for 23 years. Like what is wrong with me? Like, why am I, why am I so weak? Or, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I think what it comes down to ultimately is just like being a little nicer to yourself and like taking smaller steps to gain comfort. So like, if you, if you don't want to like go quest up El Capitan on your first day out outdoor climbing, like maybe pick something a little bit mellower and a little bit more like within your, ability so that you can just like adjust again and get used to feeling the rock and this is something that I should probably do when we go back outside (laughs) that's why I use it as an example um yeah yeah and I'd say I like I don't even I don't even it happens to all I think most of us definitely me and it's not just inside to outside like if I go alpine climbing or climbing in the Himalaya for three months and then come home and go rock climbing I'm gripped again rock climbing even though it's totally safe quote unquote. And then vice versa, if I just go rock climbing for a few months and then I'm on snow again and an avalanche conditions, no matter how rationally I can process it, I'm scared again. And so like, I think accepting that and working through it and knowing it's part of the process is key. I do it a little differently than Em, especially in the rock climbing world. I just need to go get super scared and take a massive fall or two and then my brain's better instead of building up to it. But (laughs) But I think still being okay and knowing there's a process when you go to a new... I think, yeah. I think knowing that it's never going to go away is also really comforting. Mm. Like, oh, this is just a part of it. Like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to change. You don't get get over the fear. Yeah. (laughs) You just learn to deal with the fear. Yeah, exactly. You learn how to work with it. Yeah. Uh, Angel, I'm, I'm curious how, you know, going through the, the process of just like, you know, putting all the work in PT to get back to, to actually getting into the mountains again, and then the season just came to a halt. Like, what was your, I guess, regarding the, this question, what was your perspective going, going out there again and, and trying to get into some, some bigger lines before this, you know, all happened and did pause? Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting, actually, because I was driving up to my first film trip of the year and got turned around. Um, it was right when COVID was first starting to go really go down. So I hadn't filmed yet, um, but I did have, uh, you know, all the prep time before when you're really trying to like get yourself mentally and physically ready. And like, you're trying to scare yourself as much as you possibly can, you know, in the resort um, before you go up to Alaska or British Columbia. So it was, um, I, it was really interesting hearing what you guys said about fear, because I think, I'm curious, actually, for um, all of you guys, if your process with fear has changed, what I noticed from this injury was that I feel like part of it's the injuries. I think part of it is um, aging and getting older. And I think also as being a woman, my process um, of making friends with fear is different than um, my like male comrades like Adrian, you're like, I just got to go freak myself out and get in like, you know, up to my head and then and then it's good. And and for me, I'm kind of like Emily, especially as I get older, I really have to like ease my way in. And it's like the more injuries I have and the older I get, the more I have to be conscious about it. And I have less ability to just blindly push through it and just be like, all right, I got it. I got to work my way in a lot more. So it was um, a whole season really of like coming to terms with that and noticing that as a process and going a little slower than I wanted to go. And then I did feel like I was 
not at a hundred percent, like 85, maybe going up to Canada. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do as good as I can. And if it's not my 100% best, I'm going to have to be okay with it. And I'm going to have to know that it was my best during that time. And that for me is really, it's a hard process. Um, so in some ways I was disappointed that I didn't get to like have this trip, my one trip of the year. And then also some ways, honestly, I was kind of relieved because <laughs> I get a whole nother year to do it. So, but I'm curious, but if you guys have noticed your process with your change as you've gotten older, or if you think that it's different being a woman, like Adrian, you and Ad and Emily's different. I mean, I think as I've sort of progressed in my career and as I've gotten older, I've done more dangerous things. So it's kind of interesting because like back when I was, when I was younger, I was just a sport climber and a competition climber. And that's like relatively very safe form of climbing. And now that I climb on LCAP and I like try to go faster, like I probably do the most dangerous things that I've ever done. Also then when you throw in skiing and climbing mountains and all that stuff, like probably take way more risk now than I ever have before. Um, but I think when in dealing with fear, like, like I was saying before, I used to be so hard on myself. Like if I got, when I was little, I was afraid of taking lead falls in the gym. And I have this really distinct memory of like holding on to the last hold on, on the top of the wall, like trying to take a lead fall. And like, just, I would, I couldn't let go. I just couldn't do it. And I just like had a meltdown, was crying, still couldn't let go, but didn't want to give up and was just like internally like hating myself for it. And I struggled so hard with that, just like beating myself up about being afraid. And now I'm a little bit more just like very accepting of it. And yeah, just like a little bit nicer to myself about it. But I think, and then I think I, this past year, I was sort of like getting really confident with this style of climbing that I was doing with the stuff I was doing. And then I took out this really heinous fall in Yosemite and got hurt. And now I'm sort of like you're saying with the injury thing, like trying to figure out how to, <laughs> 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 um, how to get back into it. And in Spain, like very similar in Spain, when I was just sport climbing, but at a cliff where it's really run out, you're taking really big falls. I was scared. I was legitimately afraid and intimidated when I normally am not. And it was really hard. And I think it's a result of like the fall that I took in, in the fall. And, um, there was a part of me that was a little relieved that we were going home as well because I was like, just didn't feel quite with it. So I don't know. I think it's always evolving. I think I'm going to have a lot of emotional stuff to go through when I go back to Yosemite eventually. Yeah. I mean, uh, Angel, when was your ACL surgery? Um, well, I had one in 2016 and then one, oh gosh. I've missed my anniversary, guys. Oh, so it was on April fifth. <laughs> well, it was wow. April 5th last year, but I totally <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah, yeah April fifth last year. Yeah, because I tore mine February twenty sixth, and then I had surgery June fourth, and then this winter, I was able to ski, but like with the hamstring graft I had, it was definitely like I wasn't as fast as I normally am, and I didn't. It definitely, I think for me. Two, when I get afraid, my imposter syndrome comes out and this feeling like these people who are always like, you're not an expert, like you just pay guides to take you up or whatever, like you're not actually, like people tell me that a lot on the internet that I'm like not actually what I am. And then sometimes it, I like internalize that and I like forget that I did all the stuff I've done. And I look up at the mountains and I'm like, how did I ever see that? And it's so weird sometimes to like go in between that confidence when I'm like in the moment and the conditions are right. And I like, know I can ski something really steep versus like those moments of doubt. I don't know. It's, that's been a big challenge for me this year is like what you, all that stuff you were saying where you sort of forget like this, I don't know. I just, yeah, I sometimes feel disconnected from that woman who did all these crazy like this fearless woman and I'm like I'm not this fearless woman like I don't belong here like I don't know it's so weird I don't have any good advice but the imposter syndrome thing for me has been something I've been trying to work on this year I, Caroline I in your oh sorry Jonathan I'm just gonna say in your film follow-through too one of the things that I well one of the many things I loved about that was that 
it has the audio of you talking yourself through the fear when you're going down particular lines. And I felt like that was so relatable because people like don't do that enough. I feel like, and they, they're like, I should do that more. That's what I, that's how I probably can push through fear a little bit more is to like remind myself, you got this, you got this, you've done all the work and here you are, you have the skills, you're ready. I didn't even know I was doing that either. Like it was just (laughs) something they picked up in the audio. I just like press record and like shoot the stuff. And I had no idea that I actually said that stuff. Like it's not even a conscious thing I do. It's like, you have to be like your own cheerleader sometimes or your own like parent on the sidelines. And so I think that that's like, I came to fill this role and like create this imaginary person for myself who's like cheering me on in these moments of like really gnarly exposure and like, weird run out on like that traverse I was doing and all these weird places I was. So anyway, yeah, but there's probably some like psychological benefit there. It's interesting that you can have, you can still embody so much fear for something that you've already done, right? Like you you can look at the same mountain that you've climbed or the same line you skied or the same like wall that you've, you've climbed and you know, you've done it. But the next time you stand there and, and look at it, you're like, God, that's, terrifying <laughs> do you feel like that adrian every time you look at everest <laughs> yeah pr- pretty much <laughs> i mean i am in this weird because of guiding i do go back to mountains quite often so a lot of these big mountains i've climbed i haven't climbed once i've climbed like 12 or 13 times um and uh yeah it, it, i think it's a great point I, I think it's fresh every time and and can be scary every time, but I think that's a very good way to approach these things because they'll just because we've done it before it doesn't mean it won't kill us the next time, right? And yeah. um, my my relationship with risk is I think more of risk than fear. But it, Angel, kind of your question, like I definitely feel like my relationship with risk is changing as I get older. I just have so much less comfort around uncontrolled risk. Um, I used to be able to put that out of my brain a lot more, the things I couldn't control. And now I struggle a lot more to push those things aside and just perform. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing, uh, but, I, but I'm definitely processing it. <laughs> well, I think that's a good lesson for this crisis that we're in is that um, we can do hard things. We can do really hard things as a global community. And that um, next time we're in a situation or like we are in right now for climate change, um, that it requires this level of change and adaptation that we got this and we can do it. So I think that's a really like nice way to think about, hopefully think about the, the current state of where we're at. Just my thoughts again, <laughs> only me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, it was really cool to hear everybody speak to fear. And also, I really think we could have done a whole episode just about the sleep thing, because for me, it was fascinating to hear about everybody's routines. Yeah, I feel like that is indicative of like personality traits. Hold on, let me deep set my alarm. <laughs> Ready. Your, your, your eight alarms. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Emily, you, you got to start just like scheduling, like, I don't know, surprise Jack in the boxes to pop up, like, <laughs> like fun surprises that happen before his alarm so that he can <laughs> continue the FOMO working backwards. He's going to be waking up at 3 a.m. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what are these games you're playing? What are you and your, your wife are like playing games on each other during this time, Jonathan? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> You're just playing games with each other during this quarantine. You're getting I mean, you like, got all it. kinds you of weirdness. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, the, the biggest game I played on her was I grew a mustache two weeks ago. She didn't like that one. <laughs> Yikes. It's working for you. You're all yeah. right. <laughs> awesome. Um, Caroline, Angel, uh, Adrian, Emily, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for joining us for the Stoked From Home event here. Really just candid discussions while we're all inside. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. It was rad. Great job putting something so big together. Yeah. Yeah. We we are, like, I mean, psyched about it, but, like, definitely shocked uh, how quickly it all came together. It was just a random conversation. It was like, hey, let's just reach out to everybody we've talked to before and see who wants to chat on a Saturday.
and it's yeah. it's been pretty cool. The the um the response was amazing. Awesome. Thank you for being a cool. part. Well, we're, we're pivoting into uh, happy hour here, but um, and you're you're obviously welcome to join. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. Appreciate it. I gotta go grab my kombucha for this happy hour. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. See you in a little bit. Really hope you enjoyed that session from our Stoke from Home online summit. From Emily and I, thank you for being here. If you're new to the Stokecast, definitely hit that subscribe button and jam with us here each week. You can also jump into the Stokecast group on Facebook for all the conversations happening off the pod. Your comments and positivity mean the world to us and are the reason that we keep bringing the Stoke. So if you haven't yet, please jump onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and drop a rating and review. Uh, please do that because your takeaways, your encouragement, that's our fuel. Also, Season six is coming soon. Be well, everybody.